Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, what the heck is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Kind of Funny X-Cast, your home for all things Xbox here at Kind of Funny. Of course, I'm one of your hosts, Snowbike Mike, and today I am joined by a big panel. You can probably see we're missing a couple people, but they're all coming right now. It's Mike and Paris Lily. Paris, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Good, Paris. How are you doing, Mike? Yeah, we got a really fun one. Of course, GDC is happening right now in sunny San Francisco, so we've had a ton of fun getting to meet a bunch of game devs. Of course, some team members from Xbox, myself, and Andy Cortez got to go down with Team Xbox and get to play some early ID at Xbox titles that we're going to talk about on this show because today we will have director of ID at Xbox, Chris Charla, joining us here on the show to talk 10 years of the ID at Xbox program and, of course, what they're doing right now at GDC with so many incredible indie devs and indie titles coming to your platform. But I wanted to knock out the quick housekeeping news for you so we can jump right in when they arrive to have some more fun with Gary and Chris. We're going to have a ton of awesome stories of their history together. And then, of course, myself and Paris talking about some dope indies you need to know about alongside Chris. So, of course, this is the Kind of Funny X-Cast we post each and every Thursday at 6 a.m. West Coast, Best Coast time on YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny Games, RoosterTeeth.com, and of course on podcast services around the globe. Don't forget we are now Epic Games partners, which means if you are upgrading your look in Rocket League, maybe find the season pass or some sweet V-Bucks over in Fortnite, please use our Epic Creator Code Kind of Funny at checkout to help support the team in a brand new way. And we have two awesome things I'd love for you to come out and support. Of course, on Monday, we held our own GDC kickoff stream, hosting 14 awesome indie devs over seven hours of fun right here in the spare bedroom. You can find that live stream VOD over on YouTube.com slash Kind of Funny Games, where we saw a bunch of dope indies that we're going to talk about today. But most importantly, you can go check out, see the demos, see all all of the awesome content and hear from the devs and all of their hard work being put out right now on display. And then of course, Paris today, as of recording, AKA yesterday, if you're hearing this, we had our games cast all about Redfall. We went hands-on with it. Paris, give me a couple of blurbs about Redfall for the people to tease them to go watch other content here at kind of funny. Yeah, we, we got hands-on with the single-player portion of, of Redfall, but uh, both Mike and myself and Andy got the opportunity uh, to explore that open world. We got to kill some vampires. We got to check out some vampire nests. We got to, you know, create some safe houses and all the fun things that you'll be able to do in that open world of Redfall. But I think the most important thing to come out of this, this is an arcade game. There's definitely that Dishonored and Prey DNA there. Yes but also some Far Cry as well. Ooh. So definitely go check out that preview. 
Yeah, it's a fun mix, Paris. And I know you and I and Gary, of course, we'll talk more Redfall as we lead up to that May 2nd release. But awesome to go hands-on. Of course, it was single-player, but I think it was the right move for you and I and Andy because if we were all playing co-op together, we would be chirping in each other's ears and it would be a whole <laughs> lot of just not focusing oh, yeah. on the story. So they did a great job with the single-player saying, hey, listen, watch, and enjoy. And I will say, Paris, coming out of that a lot more positive than I was going into it. But please go check out that Gamescast for our full breakdown of our hands-on preview. And of course, even more Redfall coverage coming your way. And of course, thank you all for your support. I want to thank everybody watching live over on Patreon. Don't forget, if you support over on patreon.com slash kind of funny and patreon.com slash kind of funny games, you can watch all of our shows ad-free and be in the live private YouTube chat where you can get your questions heard. You can comment on the show and also, if you'd like over on Patreon, you can become a Patreon producer just like our Patreon producers for the month of March. Tripod Double Plus Plus and, of course, Delaney Twining. Thank you both for your support over on Patreon. This week, the Kind of Funny X-Cast is sponsored by Honey, but we'll get into that in just a little bit. Get ready for an awesome show, like I said. We're celebrating 10 years of ID at Xbox program. Chris Charla, the director of ID at Xbox, is in the building. You're going to have a good time. We're going to talk about the indies you need to know about. We're going to talk about 10 years of ID at Xbox and how that's to help developers all around the globe. And, of course, their new programs that they're implementing to help even more developers bring you even more games. With that, I'll see you in the show in just a little bit. Welcome back, everybody. We have gathered the panel here. Both of my gaming dads are at the desk, but we have a very special guest joining us director of ID at Xbox, the burner of frozen pizzas, and the raddest <laughs> skater at the Microsoft campus, my guy Chris Charla. Chris Charla, how are you? Good. How's it going? Uh, so good to have you in the building. Of yeah, course, last thanks. time it's, we did this virtual. I, it's, it's so cool. I was getting a tour and taking behind-the-scenes pictures. It's, uh, it's a very cool place. Yes. Thank you so much. It's awesome to have a little bit of Team Xbox here in the spare bedroom. And, of course, to have you reconnect with one Gary Witta, because I know you guys got some history together. And that's how I kind of want to start off this segment, because you two have some fun stories. I mean, Gary Witta, my gaming dad, tells me all the great stories from back in the day. And you two together, I got. there's got to be something fun that we can talk about. I mean, Chris and I have known each other since, what, 1996? Yeah, it's been a couple of years. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> a couple um, of years. When I, was, when I first came out to the U.S. to uh, become the editor-in-chief of the U.S. edition of PC Gamer, which was in 96, um, Chris was the editor-in-chief of Next Generation. So I did. I was kind of the PC guy, and he was the console titles, and we were right. We were neighbors in the office, right? And I would often go over and hang out at Chris's desk, and he would come over, and we became friends, and we've been friends ever since. Nigh on thirty years, I've known this guy. Yeah, it's uh, it's been super fun, and we. I mean, we're recording right now, like literally just a, over a mountain pass from where we from the old office. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of yeah, just it's, a stone's throw. It's neat. That's amazing. Some great history right there. Gary, before we tell some stories, because I know you got something special on the desk, and I want to make sure we show that off, because I thought it was pretty rad. Gundog coming to life, but I guess coming to paper. Right, Gary? Yeah, just real quick. Listen, you guys don't pay me enough to come in unless yes. I'm also allowed to plug my <laughs> shit. So um, just real quick. So some of you may have listened to Gundog, the original kind of audio podcast thing that I did last year. It's still available on podcast services. The actual novel that it's based on is coming out in July, and uh, it's available uh, for pre-order on Amazon right now. So this is an advanced reader copy. They send me some of these just to kind of have physical copies to give out to friends. You, of course, Mike, and you, of course, Chris, will get physical, like the actual hardback editions when it comes out in July. But you go to Amazon right now and uh, pre-order it. 
Paris, you too. He, he doesn't see it. And Paris, I'll, I'll, I'll yes. ship him. You know, he, he's going to get one. <laughs> but you, Gary, really well, you know, what I'll do is I'll hold it here as an incentive for him to come Thank into you. the office. That's a great there you call. Go. That's there you go. I need motivation to come in. There it is. Look, 2330. Or you can get the Kindle for 949. What a value. What a savings. Come wow. on. You're like two bucks <laughs> off right now. Yeah, two, you know, like two, like two dollars and uh, sixty cents off. Come on. Now, Chris, what is that like when Gary gets to tout out some really cool books and projects? What is that like to be a friend of Gary for so many years, looking at him and the things he's accomplished? It feels really good. I mean, I remember when Gary was, you know, editor of uh, the magazine, but he was also starting to work on screenplays and doing some movie magazines. Dabbling. And he did a, I don't know, I'm sure this is public, I hope. Uh, he did like a 50-page treatment, like a Tomb Raider script. Oh, like a Tomb Raider yeah. fan Which was film. That was one of the first things that I wrote. Yeah, yeah. you probably still it find was... it on the internet somewhere. And it was really, really good. And then he's done uh, treatments for, for other things that I've gotten to read the scripts of. And so then when, when um, Book of Eli happened, it was like... Your friend got famous. It's so cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he invited us all to the theater and we got to watch it with him. It was it was that really, was, really that was actually one of them, that was a really special night. Yeah, it was but look, super it's cool. not like Chris's chop level. Like he's gone on. I mean, look at him now. He's like runs idea Xbox and you know, we've both gone on to be successful in, in different directions. I kind of obviously diverted into into kind of Hollywood stuff and Chris, who's like I said, remember I I think I said this to you recently. You will you will have to look very long and very far to find someone who cares about loves about and knows more about video games than this guy i don't i mean right here right, <laughs> <laughs> right here right there um but yeah i do like video games that's awesome chris and we're going to talk about video games because of course we're celebrating 10 years of id at yeah. xbox but so much more happened before all of that milestone and that's what i definitely want to get into with you we're here for gdc week 2023 everybody is back in the San Francisco Bay Area. And of course, I'm sure you're seeing a bunch of awesome games. I get to partake in my first ever GDC. I've seen some awesome indie titles at the mix. And of course, Team Xbox bringing me in for a little couple games on display, which has been really special. So let's talk about that. What is it like to be back in the Bay Area for GDC for you? It is awesome. I mean, you know, I was, I was here last year and it was kind of like people were still getting their sea legs on GDC. You know, first of all, it's always good to be back in the Bay. Um, I'm I like the East Bay, if you can tell by the way I'm dressed. But, um, you know, and I, and I do have to say, what's the best part of San Francisco? You can see the East Bay from there. Um, this, is, it, this is one area where Chris and I have to agree <laughs> to disagree. Sorry, I just had to get that. I had to, I had to get that public. Um, but uh, it's what's so good about, and this year everybody's back, everybody's really excited, is that during the pandemic years when we were all in our basements, look, you could still talk to your friends on, on Zoom or on Teams or whatever, but what you missed was the random encounters. What you missed was seeing the person who you didn't have on Teams or, or Zoom and, and, you know, but, and just saying hi and, or, you know, the friend of the friend. And then, you know, you're talking about what you're playing and they're playing a game you've never heard of and they have a take on it that, like, just sparks something in your brain. And those kind of, like, serendipitous encounters at GDC is, like, kind of like what the magic of GDC is. And, and, and it's just back full force. Like there's like tens or, or I don't know how many, more than 10,000 developers in San Francisco right now, all having fun, just this beautiful, you know, community. And you know, like this morning I got up early, I did some media. And so I, I went up to breakfast by myself and I, I ran up to Sears in Union Square, Sears Sign Foods. And like there's devs behind me just like chatting and it, you just like feel the happiness like coming off the table. So the vibe is awesome. You and I were actually part of something really interesting not too long ago in Vegas for Dice. Chris ran this um, 
they do these roundtables at Dice, and Chris did a roundtable that was all about achievements, like what makes a good achievement, what makes a bad achievement, how do we integrate them into games better? That was like, did you did you end up taking away anything useful from that? Because I thought that was a really interesting. Yeah, conversation. it was super. I have a whole like pages of notes that I have done nothing with because it was like straight from Dice into GDC planning. But uh, but yeah, it was really cool. It was just really interesting to think about how people play, why people, you know, go for achievements or don't go for achievements and just um, just thinking about best practices for it for developers. Yeah, it was really interesting. And you've got this whole 10-year anniversary thing going on right now as well with yeah. ID at Xbox. Yeah, it's, it, was, uh, it was, we announced ID at Xbox at uh, Gamescom in 2013, uh, but we were working on it at GDC in 2013. And 2013 was a, was a, I'm just being frank, it was a tough year for Xbox and indie devs at GDC because we had helped all these devs get onto Xbox, you know, in the Xbox Live Arcade era, the Xbox 360 era, all those awesome games we remember from Summer of Arcade. Um, but then the indie scene just grew and changed and progressed uh, like so rapidly that we were playing catch up. And, you know, we knew we were getting into a new console generation and devs were starting to be unhappy and they, you know, not shy about letting us know, which is great. And so we were spending that GDC just talking to every developer we knew, just asking like, hey, how can we improve things? What can we do better? And just like listening and synthesizing that feedback into what became the idea at Xbox program. That's really awesome, it's right. Now you have a really great blog post up on the Xbox Wire celebrating 10 years, kind of touching on the milestones, the accomplishments and what you've learned off of the feedback. What were some of the feedback back in 2013 that has helped improve the program to what it is today? Yeah, so the, the biggest piece of feedback from 2013 was, like, hey, devs want to self-publish their own games. Like, and, you know, today that sounds, well, obviously. In 2013, it was a little bit, uh, you know, innovative. But so many um, policy changes at Xbox have been driven by independent developers. Everything from cross-play. You know, we were talking to devs who were like, hey, we have a version of the game on Xbox, it's doing well. We have a version on PlayStation, it's doing well. We have a version on PC, it's doing well. But we want this community to all play together. And, you know, back in the day, you would have said, that's impossible. Well, we, we talked to developers about it. We talked about how it could work. We, we worked with our digital safety team and we made it happen. And that was, that was cool. And, and now it, it seems, you know, the, the idea that you wouldn't have that seems, seems you know, bonkers. And, um, you know, and, and that it's even come full circle to where, you know, developers wanted to self-publish digitally, but now some developers, if they're doing a special edition, they want to publish a physical version. And, and you know, we want to make sure they can do that. So we, you know, have reduced the, uh, the inside baseball term is the minimum order quantity that you need to buy a physical disc. So if a dev wants to do, you know, a couple thousand or a thousand discs uh, for, a, for a special edition, they can. Um, retail, which is weird because it's our, our digital publishing program enabling retail publishing. So kind of fun. Really rad stuff. Paris, I want to make sure you get involved because you can feel the energy in the room right yeah. now. And I want to make sure you're right here and included. So ask away anything you got while we continue this conversation. No, absolutely. And, and first and foremost, Chris, always good good to see you. But I have to admit, hearing you talk about GDC does not help with my FOMO for not being there. I really wish I, I would have been there this week. But it sounds like this is 
absolutely everything that we would want it to be from a developer standpoint, getting everybody together in San Francisco. So hopefully next year I'll be there. But the question I, I wanted to dive in was kind of the other big news that came out of ID at Xbox this year was the developer acceleration program that's yeah. going to empower underrepresented uh, creators. I, I watched a video earlier today. It was a fantastic kind of recap of what that program is. But if you can kind of elaborate on that for people watching and listening. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a program that we actually started um, back in 2019. Um, some folks on the team were, were seeing that, like, um, you know, our goal on Xbox is to make sure that players have access to the broadest variety of games. And, you know, indie games, independent games from independent developers are crucial to that. And But they were seeing that, like, there were games from some creators, especially from underrepresented backgrounds, that were struggling to come to Xbox. They were maybe coming to PC and they would see how things would go and, and see what happens. And so we saw an opportunity to, um, to help those devs by providing the funding to make it so they could port to Xbox um, at, at kind of like no, you know, no charge to them, right? And so basically paying for the port to Xbox. And so we started signing some games. It's not something we talked about publicly because it wasn't like some kind of thing where we wanted to pat ourselves on the back, this was addressing what we saw as a gap. Like we, you know, right. if, we, if, if we say we wanna provide broad array of games and there's, you know, content creators who can't get their games on Xbox or who aren't bringing their games to Xbox, we're, we're failing our players. And so, um, so we started to sign games. We've, we've now signed more than a hundred. And, um, you know, we're always getting challenged by different leaders at Xbox, you know, whether it's Sarah, Bond or other people sort of saying like, are you, um, are you sure you're reaching everybody? And, you know, we certainly can meet, meet lots of people, sign lots of games, but we, we have to admit that there, you know, there's obviously the potential that there's devs out there who could benefit from this program who we don't know and who don't know us. And that's why we decided to talk about it publicly now so that it's not, so, again, it's not a pat on the back thing. It's about making sure that devs who are out there who are underrepresented in, you know, one of, you know, many different ways um, know that there's somebody at Xbox who can help them out and, you know, help get that first game or subsequent game onto Xbox and, and you know, start a relationship with them. And, and, you know, and hopefully they meet lots of new players and our players get to see lots of stories from different perspectives and, and everybody wins. Yeah, I thought the one thing that I, I took out of the video that I, that I watched kind of talking about this, and you even just mentioned that you you have over 100 uh, people signed up to the program now, that 27 of them have actually, you know, shipped a game, published a game. But the more important thing out of that was the fact that this is not just exclusive to Xbox. Obviously, you want the game to come on Xbox, but but these creators are are free to put their, their games on other platforms as well. So I, I thought that was an awesome aspect of this program that it is truly about empowering creators and getting them to be able to publish their games, you know, for the public. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're, 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 we're not interested in trying to like lock these devs in or anything like that. We just want to, we want to make sure this program is about making sure that Xbox players get to experience these cool games and, you know, but we're not interested in keeping them off a switch or keeping them off a PlayStation or PC or, or anywhere else. So, you know, it, it's a program about like inviting new creators onto Xbox and like, you know, hopefully they get to, you know, experience the Xbox ecosystem and like it and bring their next games to Xbox and, and, and that kind of thing, but definitely not about uh, excluding folks from doing anything. That's really great, of course, as we move forward with the new ecosystem, right? PC, 
Xbox on the console in the cloud. Do you see a lot of developers starting to lean into the cloud and utilize that power that Xbox Microsoft is bringing? Yeah, and we see it in kind of two two aspects. Uh, one is um, you know games that you can play on your on your phone or on PC or whatever, just streaming. And the beautiful thing about that is that the basic level, what a dev has to do to get their game ready to stream through through XCloud, or, is uh, nothing. Like, um, I mean, they they sign you know something in a contract telling us we can do it. And you know we take care of all the tech on the back end to actually serve that content through the cloud to your phone, to your PC, to your Mac, and the dev doesn't have to do a thing. Um, if they want to, there's an API they can implement in their game called, um, I think it's called CloudAware. And then once they do that, the game will know that it, when it's streaming to like a to a phone, and so you can do a lot of things with like touch overlays that are you know more intuitive than like a sort of either you know a standard default touch overlay or having to plug a controller in but but that's all supported but um and so some devs have implemented the the cloud aware apis which is really really great but at a basic level devs don't have to do anything but the other side of it is more on the development side and so it's using cloud cloud technology ai things like that to both develop the game uh, as well as to to do things like telemetry and player services and live uh, live service games and that kind of thing. And our, our our ID at Azure program, which is kind of a sister program to ID at Xbox, has been really helpful to uh, helping independent developers take advantage of that tech. I just saw an, I just saw an anecdotal example of the magic of gaming in the cloud just this past week. Because, you know, I've always been, I was like, on paper, I think it's great that people can do that. It's not necessarily for me. I don't go anywhere. I don't leave the house. I'm usually, I usually live on the couch and I'm just playing games on a, on a big screen TV. Um, my daughter, though, who's 10, like her most played game is The Sims 4 on Xbox. Every, I, I, we are, we, we've got to be like what EA would consider like a whale, right? Because every, every expansion, every little you know, costume pack or whatever, we get them all. She, we've got like the full Sims 4 universe. And she was, like, she was talking about how like she wished she could play it on her iPad. I said, well, you know, you can actually do that, right? And she's like, what? And we clouds and we set up cloud streaming on her iPad through the browser, and her mind was blown. She said, yeah, but how do I play it? I said, well, I'm just going to sync an Xbox controller by Bluetooth to your iPad. And her mind was blown again, and I watched it vicariously, experienced it through her. Like, she was so amazed that that is something that you could do that I was like, it made me appreciate it all the more, like, kind of through, through her eyes. I thought it was really, really cool to see like cloud streaming, like a, a really just a case study of it. Like, wow, that's really cool. I loved it. That's awesome. Yeah. I will sometimes stream from my Xbox in the basement to my PC upstairs because um, I don't want to say too lazy to go downstairs. No, it is too lazy though, isn't it? <laughs> it's yeah. a lot of stairs. It's like a whole flight or two, so. <laughs> uh, also another one we talk about cloud and welcoming new players and accessibility, right? A big thing for Microsoft and team Xbox has been accessibility. And of course the accessibility handbook and helping devs learn and be able to put out games that welcome in even more players. What has that been like on the ID at Xbox side of allowing that for, you know, small yeah, indie devs? It's been really good. And, and it's an interesting thing because in a lot of cases, uh, like a larger publisher, you know, so first of all, to start with, I, I have never met a developer who doesn't want to make their game as accessible as possible, right? Um, uh, but a lot of, uh, you know, larger publishers will have teams devoted to this, you know, folks who really focus on accessibility. For smaller developers, the, it, the desire is still there, but they just might not have the, the, the bandwidth, the number of people they need on their team to, to be able to take advantage of that. And so where we've tried to help at Microsoft, you know, we've done things like the accessible controller, but, but also just like, 
provide best practices, provide tools like you know for things like colorblindness awareness, and and we actually now have a service where a dev can send us a build of their game, and we'll run it through a ton of tests and sort of give them you know an accessibility report, places that they can focus on to make it more accessible, and that's been um, it's been really popular, and it's it's something that you know we we talk a lot at Xbox about. Um, gaming for everyone and like to make gaming for everyone it's got to you know truly be for everyone and 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 um you know i think that like for for folks who have you know i have like my hand is really messed up it's actually hard for me to hold a controller sometimes and uh you know just anything you can do to like um make that easier is just great it brings more people in and games are such a i mean you know I like games a lot, and, and I really think that games are just such an important unifying force in the world. It's like the one thing where you can have people from all over the world in the exact same environment playing the exact same thing at the exact same time from you know all walks of life. And to imagine somebody's left out of that like feels horrible. You know what I mean? And you can, can you imagine if you were that person who was left out? And so, um, so making sure that those people can um, you know play as well is just such an important thing because it's... I mean, we know, right? Like, gaming is the coolest thing in the world, and so like, you want everybody to do it. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, I think the accessibility stuff is, is really just, like, a, like, it's so cool that we're able to do it, and it's something that, you know, there's huge demand for on the dev side. Really special stuff, and we have a whole lot more to talk about right after a word from our sponsors. Shout out to Honey for sponsoring this episode. Honey is the easy way to save when shopping on your iPhone or computer. And thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. And we all know there's nothing better than the feeling of saving money. Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best one it finds to your cart. When you check out, the Honey button appears and all you have to do is click apply coupons. You wait a few seconds, you see the fun little dancing guy. Honey searches for coupons and it finds you the best ones and then you just watch the prices drop we here at kind of funny have been using honey for years and it's helped us save thousands on tech costumes food you name it honestly i just love how easy it is to just set and forget and save that's the best part honey doesn't just work on desktops it works on your phone too you just activate it on safari on your phone you save on the go if you don't already have honey you could be straight up missing out you can get paypal honey for free at joinhoney.com slash kind of funny that's joinhoney.com slash kind of funny if you're an athlete you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down after all a team is only as good as its weakest link so you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Let's talk GDC. Of course, Chris, you brought up going to different meetings. You talked about seeing all these devs from around the globe. I think that's something special for me, right? We always talk about gaming is worldwide. Development of these video games that we know and love is worldwide. But of course, you're kind of in your bubble in your bedroom, right? You don't get to see or meet these devs from around the globe. And that's been something really special for me at GDC is getting to see people from all different walks of life, all different countries, showing off their games and their enthusiasm for what they create. What has it been like this year for you? What are some of the trends in gaming that you're seeing? Is it roguelites? Is it battle royales? What have you been yeah. seeing on the show floor when you talk to these indie I've devs? I've seen it. I've seen a ton of games. And, you know, we had this event at a mm-hmm. loft where we invited uh, eight devs to show off games. And, and they ended up being from eight different countries from, you know, you know, we had U.S., U.K., uh, Switzerland, <clears throat> Korea. I can't. I can't even name them all. Um, it was. It was really cool. I think that the, the the there's some universals in games, like where you know, no matter where a dev is from. You know, I was talking to some developers from Pakistan today. Um, you know, fun is universal, right? Like, what what makes your thumbs happy is universal. Um, but at the same time, what's really cool is that. Before the pandemic and even and even now, we see um, scenes kind of like come up in in different locations, whether it's a city or like a country. And so you start to see like, oh, there's a flavor for like a Melbourne game, you know, or there's a flavor for a Swedish game. Now, the games are all different. You know, I'm not saying they're copycats, but there's just something about them. It's almost like a music scene where, you know, there was like the Seattle sound or the East Bay sound, you know, East Bay punk sound. And you start to feel that and it is so cool because when you're, you know, going through Game Pass or going through a catalog and you're playing a bunch of different games, you're you're getting a sample like what's culturally hot and interesting in like all these different territories all over the world and it just um it just feels really neat. And then I got to give a shout out to Australia really quick cuz I've had a bunch of meetings with Australian developers this week and every meeting the developers brought snacks. And so I'm like rolling in like so many Tim Tams right now. It's like, <laughs> it's unbelievable. And in fact, one um, one dev from Brisbane in Australia, um, she gave me a, 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 like a big package of Tim Tams with a tiny little fanzine, which was so... Gary well, I mean, Chris used to make fanzines, yeah. so that's very much up his alley. I still I still do, but yeah. He still does, yeah. He was just... trying to get me roped into doing one at Dice. I'm like, Chris, it's, it's over. He's like, no, I'm still making fanzines. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you one later. Like, I've got it. I, should, I, should, I should show it on the show. But she made this little fanzine about how to do a Tim Tam Slam, which is this Brisbane Australian thing, as far as I know, where you bite off opposite corners of a Tim Tam and then stick it in your coffee and uh, drink the coffee through the Tim Tam yes. as a straw, and then and then eat the Tim Tam that is now coffee soaked. And it was amazing. why are you shaking your head, Gary? This is why like we kicked time. them all out two hundred years ago, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, because the idea is like this is not going to fly in the UK. Drinking your tea through a biscuit. What is going on? Oh, look at this. Oh yeah, well there you go. Look, there it is. Uh, uh, to producer yeah. Barrett, Barrett, Barrett does not mess around. He can amazing. he can literally make your dreams a reality yeah. in like five seconds. <laughs> but also a uh, question for myself: uh, Have you had a variety of flavors of Tim Tams this week, and what has been your favorite one? So I, I have only had uh, stock Tim Tams, but I have <laughs> some. I think some dark chocolate ones, and I've actually got some wagon wheels, which those are UK. Yeah, yeah, and they have marshmallow. I think. In yeah, it. I'm super excited. Yeah, kind of similar to what you would think of as a moon pie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course. But they're kind of they're not great. 
Oh. Like if I, if I, you know, I used to bring snacks in back in the day, like kind of funny, I would bring in UK snacks. I never brought in a wagon wheel because it's not our finest hour. Okay. I, I'm looking forward to it. I also just want to say to troll Gary, uh, I prefer Vegemite to Marmite. Ah, there you go. I love I'm, I'm happy to let that one go. Life's too short. I, 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 <laughs> Vegemite, of course, is the Australian version of Marmite. Yes. And it's not, it's not for everyone. Like the whole Marmite marketing campaign in the UK is like you either love it or hate it. I personally love it. But I've never, I've never tried. I just, you know, you just, you, it's what I grew up with. I, I don't even, I, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's like Pepsi and Coke. Yeah. Like they're okay. roughly the okay. same. But look, English and the English and the Australians, we've got a lot of, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of history there. And the battle lines have been, were drawn a long time ago, and we end up fighting them out, fighting them out over stupid shit like Vegemite versus Marmite. <laughs> and Tim Tams. Because like, here's the thing. It's like, oh, uh, uh, they're bringing in all their Australian delicacies. I'm right. I'm going, they, they, he's going to be talking about Tim Tams for the next 10 minutes. I Let me tell it. you something. That's all they've got. That's all they got, Gary. All right. Tim Tams. But you know what? If, oh, but we, if, have, we have like eight different flavors of Tim Tams. That's it. <laughs> the conversation begins and ends with Tim Tams. I'm going to be hearing from Alana later. Tam. I guarantee it. If you've eaten a Tim Tam, you know that if that is your country's only culinary contribution... It's enough. That's enough. Yeah, I mean the Tim Tam is—it's very good. Okay, okay, they're winning you over. I like that. not a lot, not a lot of bench strength though. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> let's talk about those games, of course, Paris. I want to get to you right after this, but let's talk about some of those games that you and the team, of course, have brought in. You bring up eight developers from all around the globe, showing off some of these games. What are some standout games that we can talk about right now? So one that I just totally fell in love with is the Wandering Village. It's from uh, a dev, uh, Strayfon, who's uh, out of Switzerland. I think they're in Zurich, and um, it's all about a, a a world and a city on the back of a giant creature, and it is so. So lush and green and like, you know, I, I love a good post-apocalyptic game, but I really love a good like lush green, you know, rich in biology game. And, and this one really has it. And I um, it's also really neat because I, I first met the um, the head of the studio when she, it was like just a really small, like two or three person studio. And she was there demoing um, this game a few years ago called, called Niche. I backed on Kickstarter and seeing them go from like this scrappy indie to now an indie who's like quite a bit bigger and doing like a, a pretty big game is like is that is just so cool to see and the game looks amazing. So that was a big one. Um Liza P is uh from Korea. That game just is Bonkers. I still bonkers. That's the Pinocchio game, right? Yeah, yeah, I still yeah. can't get my head around and that. So, like, Andy Cortez did go hands-on with this, and for all you best friends out there, you know Andy loves the Soulsborne <clears> genre, <throat> and he says this is the closest he's ever felt to a Soulsborne game with developers that are not, of course, from Soft. So, big words from him. Really, really loved playing that game. Yeah, I mean, it just it just looks so cool. And then uh, Planet Alana was another one that is. Um, uh, like a, just a beautiful side-scrolling puzzle adventure, like um, uh, and just really, really lush animation. Again, it's just super, super fun. Yeah, playing Alana really stole the show for me. I had a great time with that. And actually, you bring up the Wandering Village. It's funny. I sat down with one of the developers on the team. She was an engineer, and she blew my mind because you think of RTS games, we think of mouse and keyboard, right? And we're seeing age come to console with controller support and how great it can be and she was actually the one who created the inputs for the controller and i had so much excitement and enthusiasm to talk to her because i was so pumped up on age of empires and where we're going with that and she broke my mind of like think about what we're doing here and what i had to do and nobody was there around me that i could look at and mimic and what they were doing and it was really really special to see her smile and get to show off the awesome stuff that she did that was really special moment that I'll stick with. Yeah, I mean, and that's what's so great about independent developers. They're not afraid to 
break ground, right? You know, I, yep. I think all games innovate, or, you know, all games progress. Um, you know, that's not unique to indies, but, um, but they are frequently just pioneers. They're just out there where there's no roadmap on how you do things. There's no established grammar or gameplay. And so to see that they, you know, can then just do it, you know, can just like figure out like a great RTS controller mechanic. Like that's, that's just like the, the magic that makes it like, I don't know. It makes it really fun to work with those, with those folks. Awesome stuff. Paris, get involved. What you got? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, if I misspeak on this, please, please correct me. But, you know, I, I'm a fan of idea at Xbox. I have been for a long time for just a lot of the things that Chris has already talked about is because I feel like innovation happens at the indie level, right? And to have a program like this that spotlights more indie developers, more indie games and brings them to the forefront is fantastic. So I seem to remember a few months back, your team went to Korea. I could be wrong on that. So if I'm misspeaking, you know, please correct me on that. But it, it just brought along the idea to me. And I'm wondering, along with this, this the underrepresented creators program that, that you have, how aggressive is ID at Xbox as far as going to more countries and to more, you know, culturally diverse developers out there. So as an example, I think like I would love to see you work with some underrepresented creators like from Nigeria, as an example, right? Or say like, I, I don't know, in South America, like Argentina or Chile or Peru or something like that, where you're getting you're, you're providing the assets and the funding for, for these indie developers so that they can put their cultures on display and expose it to more people around the globe. So I'm just curious along those thoughts, what, is, is that happening? Is that something that's been discussed? I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, it's uh, it's absolutely happening. And in my head, like, I don't know what we've said publicly, so I don't know what I can say. I'm going to look over here and say that, like, um, uh, it is absolutely happening. We have folks, uh, you know, who are part of Team Xbox. They're not not part of uh, ID, but they're, like, partner, like, we have the same boss. Right. um, Who are in India, in Southeast Asia, in Africa, who are absolutely, like, working with teams there and working to make sure that we, you know, get as broad a representation on Xbox as humanly possible. Oh, that that's amazing because, you know, you, you were talking before about Korea, you were talking about Australia, you know, we obviously see a lot of Japanese developers and obviously here, here in the West and in, in Europe, but you think about like the Philippines, as an example, like we know there's so many talented people out there and they may not necessarily just have the funding to bring an idea to life. So so that's that's fantastic to hear. I definitely don't want to get you in trouble. So I'll stop talking. Yeah. But, yeah. I hope. Here's I mean, I mean, you, you nailed it. The reality is like the talent is universal. Right. And, and yeah. the, the stories that are there to be told that are compelling worldwide are also universal. They're everywhere. They're in the Philippines. They're in. Nigeria, they're, they're every place you can imagine. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of our job as a platform holder to do everything we can to make sure that our players get to experience those stories. And, you know, as, as awesome as it is to play, you know, a dungeon crawling roguelike, that's maybe my favorite genre. Like, I want to see the dungeon crawling roguelike that comes, you know, with, you know, another culture's, you know, touch points, like, because that's exactly. just going to be interesting and exciting. Like, I love Hades, but now what's the Hades from another mythology like i want to see it 
I think that's, it's really important as well. I mean, when you, when you talk about like diversity, it's not just in terms of like diversity in terms of inclusion, although, you know, we all agree that's super important, but it's also just like diversity of experiences, like what kind of games are we playing? If we only played games from American developers, I mean, there's a, a ton of innovation and, 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 and diversity of, of experience just within the American games scene, right? But the, the, ultimately there is a, a limit, right? Like how diverse and how weird things can get. But you remember, Chris, like back in the day when we were games journalists, a game would come into the office and they're like, this game could only have come from France or this game could only have come from Japan because it is like, for example, like an, Ameri an American developer was never going to make something like Papers, Please, right? It's like one really obvious example, right? Because that yeah, came from that one. developer's experience that came from that world or this war of mine. Or what, you know, there's, again, cultural references and it's the same in world cinema as well. You know, if you want like, like things that really will like bake your noodle and like force you to look at the world a different way. Sometimes you've got to go to different parts of the world. And I think that's equally true in games. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about different dev scenes. Like you want to, I mean, we all crave novelty, right? Like that's one of the reasons we play video games. And so getting to experience, you know, look, I, I may never get to go to Nigeria my whole life. You know what I mean? Maybe I will, but hard to say. But if I can play a game from Nigeria, then I understand somebody from there. I get to learn about, you know, whatever lore they come up with, whether it's based on local things or just based on their imagination shaped by, you know, their childhood and growing up. Like, that's awesome. And you just, like, I don't know. You know what I mean? I have a lot of intellectual curiosity. I want to explore everything. I want to know everything. And getting to play a game from, from this creator, like, would be super rad. So Yeah, and that's the special part about ID at Xbox, right? Bringing these indies from all around the globe for us, the players, to be able to see, play, and take part of. It's pretty special. Yeah, right there. absolutely. And we have we work with developers in, like, I think 100 countries now, and uh, which, is, which is awesome. We're working with, like, well, we've onboarded more than 5,000 devs into the program from 100 countries. It's not, it's not quite, you know, whatever, 200 a country or whatever. But, uh, um, like, uh, it, it's, um, it's, it's, just, it's just really cool to, to work with devs from all over the place and just to get those different perspectives. Like, it's, it's great. Yeah, you you shared some special news in the infographic on your Xbox Wire thing. You talked about, of course, more than 3,000 titles released on the platform, more than the Xbox and Xbox 360, correct? Yeah, yeah. more than all the games that were released on them combined. So. Pretty amazing, yeah, right? Pretty and, of cool. course, you put out a $4 billion number. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so we, um, you know, counted up all the money that, that, that developers have earned from, you know, working with the ID at Xbox program and everything like that. And it works out that we've paid more than $4 billion to developers, which is, um, I had to share this anecdote. When I was a little kid, like, I think my parents, like, subscribed to Time magazine or something, and they got, like, a cheapo solar pocket calculator. So they gave it to me, and, you know, and I'm, like, playing around with it, and, um, you know, it's like one, two, three, you know, you use up the whole thing. And I just remember kind of idly wondering, like, uh, am I ever going to do a math problem that uses all these numbers, you know, other than nine, 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 plus one. And, uh, and as I was, you know, kind of like, you know, we were, we knew what this number was, but you know, you're double checking it and everything like that. I'm doing this number and I look at my calculator and I realize like I'm using every number, you know, and, uh, that, felt sort of cool to like uh, actually use every number in a calculator to figure out how much money we had, uh, how, how much money we had paid developers. Amazing. Yes. And of course, now the inclusion of Game Pass, you talked about the program, you've talked about 10 years. You guys are now making Game Pass, at least looking at possibly getting a deal from the development side, a little bit easier for developers. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. And again, it goes back to sort of one of the reasons we, we announced the developer acceleration program to, to make sure that we were talking to devs who we don't know personally is that, you know, oh, like over time we find that, you know, we know tons of devs. We're at GDC. We've got hundreds of meetings at GDC with developers. But there's still developers we didn't have time to meet with because they 
talk to us a little too late and the slate's already full or there's devs who can't afford to come to GDC or just decided not to come to GDC. And, um, you know, what we don't want is people out there saying like, oh, I don't know who to talk to at Xbox. Like I, I, right. I wanted to get my game on Xbox, but I just wasn't sure what to do. And so we announced that in kind of, it's, it's really interesting. It's the first time we've ever announced this, that there's a place that developers can go to tell us about their game. If they're looking for a deal, like if they're looking for a game pass deal or, or looking for another kind of opportunity to work more closely with us than just bringing their game to Xbox and um, it's still behind NDA because they're, you know, sharing confidential information. So it's not like fully public, but it's, you know, clear where it is. And we'll um, we'll kind of give them a form to fill out that is all the information we've ever wanted to know about a game to kind of make a decision about like, you know, could this be something interesting for Game Pass so that we can give them a decision, you know, as quickly as possible, whether it's like, oh, yeah, this is interesting. Let's keep talking or a. Uh, Hey, this looks really cool. Not right now, and um, you know, and and so uh, yeah, that's going to be getting set up again. It's behind NDA, so I'll probably never talk about it again. But um, <laughs> uh, um, but that's going to be getting set up within the next month or two, and and devs will hear about it in our also confidential April newsletter. Yeah, that's a really special program, of course, for the development teams, but also for the players. We love Game Pass, right? Everybody knows we're the biggest cheerleaders around for Game Pass, and the players in the Xbox ecosystem love Game Pass. Because they get to jump in and try new experiences from anywhere and everyone. It's the best. I mean, I, I mean, it's like, um, it's just amazing. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, a, you know, I'm a gamer of a certain age. I remember the era when you know you go to Blockbuster and your parents would tell you like you can get one game and you'd just walk into the aisle and you'd see all these, all these games and you knew you could get one. There was this inf you know infinite choices and now we've kind of like brought that home where you can download all these games from a curated library where you know the titles are going to be good. They might not all be your personal favorite game or to your taste, but they're all good. And you can just, you can just try a variety of things. Like, I just think it's like the, as a player, I just, I love it. And devs love it too. So really great. special. I want to, since we don't have much time with you here, as we start to ramp down, I want to talk about some of the history and of course the future, you know, we look back on 10 years. Can you tell me some of the first titles to hit the ID at Xbox program that you can remember that were maybe special standouts to you? Yeah, so first one was Strike Suit Zero. I think it, I think it launched sometime in April 2014. Oh, I know it sometime in April 2014. So that was the first one. What was really cool is I was at a, a bar the other day just with some people, and a guy walked up to me and tapped me on the shoulder, and he's like, hey, you know, Chris, do you remember me? Like, I was like the, the marketing guy for Strike Suit Zero. And I was like, oh, yeah, and, you know, it's catching up. And he's like an adult now. Uh, at the time, I remember as being young. I mean, it was whatever. And um, in, and it turns out like that that trip that we had done together was like his first ever like video game business trip. And um, so that was just really really cool. And you know now he's doing all sorts of cool stuff in the industry. And um, you know one of the creators of Strike Suit Zero, we were just talking to about like a next game that they're bringing to ID. And so it's like it's really special just to have seen like all these games come through and all the, the early games, you know, through to, you know, so I think Strike Suit Zero is really special. I think Cuphead is really special. That's one that will always stick with me um, as, you know, one of the first games we saw and then showed a few seconds of, and then and I think we showed it like a couple E3s in a row and, um, or three E3s in a row. And um, it was just like, to me, kind of like the, the classic indie dream, right? Where these, these two, brothers had a you know dream about what they could do they they heard about unity they didn't know how to program they decided to make this game i think you know partially because it's what they wanted and partially because they didn't know how hard <laughs> it was going to be they decided to hand draw every frame 
And um, it's, it just turned into like, you know, one of the most amazing stories ever. And it's still like, you know, maybe um, other than using my calculator to figure out we had paid developers, you know, more than $4 billion, um, my favorite moment in my career was standing on stage before the first full Cuphead trailer um, launched at E3. And, and I got to introduce it and just... When the lights came down, I was like standing in the dark just before the Studio MDHR logo went on screen. I just was like goosebumps because I knew, I just knew how good it was. I knew it was going to blow everybody's mind, and um, and it did. And uh, it was just so cool. And then um, when they just shipped Delicious Last Course DLC, and um, so I'm I'm replaying the first game, which I'm still terrible at, and like. Oh my God. I don't know if you guys have played it recently. It's worth playing again because it's like you, you remember, oh yeah, that game was really good and it was really beautiful. And then you play it again and you're like, oh my God, like this game was really good and really beautiful. And so it's like, it's worth revisiting. And I, and I honestly think that's going to be a game that people are talking about with, with titles like Inside and like... Braid and like all yeah. time classic indies, you, yeah. You'll be talking about them in 50 years. You know, yeah. our, our kids will be talking about them with their kids. Harris. Curiosity question again, because you, you talked more about uh, once once you get, let, let's say, a team onboarded in, into the IDX, ID at Xbox program, how involved is Xbox, Microsoft, ID at Xbox as far as being a technical resource? Let's say a team, they're working on a game, they basically, they, they, they hit a roadblock on something, they run into a technical issue. Is Microsoft there as a resource to assist them? Yeah, absolutely. So on a typical dev, um, they don't ask us a lot of technical questions. Like usually uh, we'll get a lot of questions. We first send them the Xboxes, like the dev kits. We'll sometimes get some questions about setup and that sort of thing. But but once folks get going on it, they don't typically ask a lot of questions. Um, if they do, they get they end up getting access to the same sort of uh, technical support that that every other developer gets, and that that goes all right. the way up to like our advanced technology group. Um, you know, folks are really you know doing something interesting and pushing some bounds some places and running some some questions. Um, so it does happen uh, on occasion. It's not typical. I would say it's like it's a, a pretty small fraction. Um, with where we provide a little bit more assistance is. Um, on the business side. And so we'll have like behind NDA kind of calls and conferences, well, conferences when we could get together, um, where we'll talk about uh, general best practices for like selling games on Xbox. And, and we'll talk about, you know, share some data, you know, in aggregate around like market conditions, like what genres are performing, uh, you know, all the way down to like, what's a good day to release your game or a bad day to mm. release your game. And then um, for the developer acceleration program, we do the same thing in a smaller group with just devs who are in the developer acceleration program. A lot of them are first-time game developers or first-time console game developers. So sometimes they do have more questions and we wanna make sure that we're providing them information in an environment where it's maybe like fewer people in the room, like nobody, so nobody's embarrassed to ask a question. I mean, no, no one should ever be embarrassed to ask a question, but you know how it is. Sometimes you're like, right. oh, everybody else knows but me, but really like nobody knows. <laughs> and so um, so we, we do that to help to help those folks along. And, and also for games that are in the developer acceleration program, we'll do calls on a pretty regular basis, once a month, once every two months with them, just to make sure that they're having a good experience on Xbox, don't have any questions. And then also to, um, to answer the questions that a developer who's more established might ask, like, uh, you know, a friend in a studio across town, like, well, who do I talk to about this? You know, they may not have access to those social networks. Um, 
coming from underrepresented groups and maybe with less console experience. So we want to make sure we're there to answer those questions and get them up to speed and everything like that. So they're, you know, uh, you know, as advantaged as everybody else. And then also, you know, through, you know, different opportunities, make sure they're getting introduced to folks so they are able to build up that kind of social network that you really need as a developer. That's great. Um, of course, as we start to ramp down here, I did hear a pretty great story about you and Gary back in the day, of course. I mean, there's so many. There's so many, <laughs> but there was one where you got Chris on the hook on a phone trying to pitch a game or find out about a game, Gary. What was that all about? I don't even remember how it started, but Chris and I have been obsessed now for the better part of 30 years with making a game, and all we have is the title. We don't even know what it is. I, I guess it's kind of an RPG. The title is suggestive of that, but like we just, we're just obsessed with making a game that is simply called Return of the Golden Spear, the Golden Spear Returns. I don't know why that's so funny to me. It just is. We, and like we spend, we've wasted so much time over the years coming up with like stupid ideas that are never going to go anywhere. But like maybe one day we'll actually iterate on these. Didn't we used to talk I, about, remember Routine yeah, I Flight? Pitched, I pitched a uh, 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 a uh, an airplane script to yeah. Gary called Routine Flight. Yeah. Where it's uh, an airplane flight that uh, takes off. This is my elevator pitch. The flight takes off. We focus on a couple different, you know, like an ensemble cast. It flies from San Francisco to Los Angeles. It lands safely. Yeah. It's like passenger, his pitch was like, it's passenger, what, 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 what if passenger 57, but nothing really happened? Like, that's the pitch. <laughs> and he even had the, the sequel was the return leg yeah. of the flight. Like, yeah. that was the sequel was already baked into the recipe. And then, of course, Chris, they actually made that game. It was called Airplane Mode. Yeah, yeah, Somebody yeah. beat us to it. And that was a big hit. So maybe some of these dumbass ideas that we have, yeah. we should actually iterate on them instead of but, just sitting around talking about it. But them. I do have to tell that, you know, it's true. Some things you, like, when you hear children, when you hear that, you know, something might happen that you never live down, like, sometimes that involves, like, literally never living it down. So 20-plus years ago... I was an editor at Next Generation, kind of before the internet, like always looking for scoops. And I get a call from, from Gary saying like, I was talking to Dave Perry and I got the scoop on his next game. He let it slip for console. Oh, is this how it started? Yeah, you yeah. have a better memory yeah, yeah. than I do. Oh, no, no, I remember, trust me. <laughs> and, uh, he's like, I, uh, you know, it's not for PC, so I can't do anything with it, but I'll give it to you. Like, uh, Perry's working on an RPG. Old school, you know, like, you know, Jap Japanese style RPG, like you should call him up. And I'm so I'm like, what's it called? What's it called? And, and it is called Return of the Golden Spear. The Golden Spear Returns. Yeah. So I call Dave Perry, who at the time was, you know, one of the I don't remember this. I'm so sorry. Famous game developers. And, you know, I had his number on speed dial and, you know, he took the call and I'm like, so uh, Gary told me, Gary told me everything. I, you know, I know all about the game, like, you know, just like, uh, but, you know, tell me and like, maybe we can do a cover, like, you know, what, like, we'll do a preview, like, you know, what's going on. And I, in my head, I'm just thinking, like, I'm so excited by the scoop that no part of me stopped to consider that the name of this game was Return of the Golden Spear, colon, the, the Golden, Golden Spear, Spear Returns. Returns. Yeah. And I'm talking to Dave Perry, and Dave Perry, like, at first, has no idea what I'm talking about. But then he starts to realize that I'm kidding. And then I said, like, cover. And then I could, in retrospect, I could see the wheels turning in, in Dave Perry's head. And, and I, as me, is slowly starting to come to a realization that I've been had, you know, as badly as when he had a, a chess program play somebody else at his magazine in chess. Oh, and, that uh, was really bad. I used to have this. So <laughs> there was a guy who used to work for me on PC Gamer who was like a, he was like a rank, he was like a rated chess player at like high school level. And he was pretty good. And we had like chess master 4,000 or whatever it was came into the, came into the office. And I had Joe, um, who's the guy, review it. 
And one of the options that it had was LAN play, which at the time was like, oh my God, local area network. Oh my God, this is the future. We thought it was great. We could play chess over two computers over a LAN cable. And so we played. And the problem is I'm not very good. I'm fascinated by chess, but I'm terrible at it. Joe was actually very good. And the problem with it was he was a very ungracious winner. He'd be like, oh, is that, is that, that's your move? Really? Seriously? And he would like beat me every time, but like be really ungracious about it. And I got really annoyed. I thought, I'm going to get him somehow. And so I found another chess game in the office. It was, remember EM had a game called Kasparov's Gambit? So I found a second, I had two games, I had two chess programs running on my, you couldn't see my screen. And so every time he would make a move against, I came back the next day, I said, Joe, I've read a chess book overnight and I think I'm going to get you this time. I've learned a lot overnight. But every time I set Kasparov's Gambit to like super grandmaster wizard level. And so every time Joe would make a move against me, I would put it into Kasparov's Gambit, wait for the computer to wait, make its move at grandmaster level and then put that move back into Joe's game as my move. And like within three moves, he was like, Oh my God, like what chess book did you read? That's a real opening. That's a classic. I mean, you know, I, I, sometimes I pick things up quickly and I, and I just clobbered him three or four times. And I, I was cheating, but like, you know what? He deserved it. And I, I think, I, I hope he's not watching this because I think 20, 25 years later, he may have realized that's how I got him. Yeah, completely cheated. <laughs> you got him, Gary. Yeah. Right. It wasn't as bad as that thing with Golden Spear wasn't as bad as what, I, as what I did to your successor, Tom Russo. Oh. Do you remember when I programmed, when I set my computer up to sound exactly like Stephen Hawking? And I called I him and he was convinced story. he was talking to Professor Stephen Hawking. And he wanted to review Master of Orion for him because he, <laughs> he wasn't happy with all of the fact that the cosmology was not correct in the game. Like he really thought that was real for like a week. <laughs> it was an error. We had fun, of we had fun times it back then. It was an error of pranks. Yeah. But to, to finish the, the story, as I'm talking to Dave Perry, as soon as I say cover, you could see the oh, gears yeah, start yeah, turning. Dynamic changes. And I convinced if I, if I had not realized that I was being pranked for like five more minutes, um, Shiny might have made the game in order to get the cover. Yeah, they made yeah. the game just because the, like, the cover was yeah. already promising. We better make next gen, like imagine Dave going back to his team. Well, next gen's already promising a cover. We kind of have to make this game now because everybody wanted these covers back in the day. They were coveted, very coveted real estate. Yeah, amazing. So someday maybe that game will come to, to, come to fruition. Do you want to play the Infocom game before we go off air? I feel like we should do a round of sure. it. Sure. Do we have time, Mike? We do have time. Chris and I grew up, we're, we're, of, a, we're of a generation that grew up on. Um, the, I don't know if you, you, would, you would even know this or remember this, Mike, because you're a generation behind us of a, a company called Infocom, which back in the early days of like the 1980s were pioneers in the field of text adventures. Like they, they were, everyone else was making text adventures, but no one made text adventures like Infocom. They were just incredibly, incredibly good at it. And they have a light and they over the years made a library of like amazing games, some far better known than others. And Chris and I both grew up obsessed with Infocom games and we initially bonded over our mutual love of infocom games and we would play this game about like who kno who knows the most infocom games and we would play tennis and go back and forth until somebody runs out of games someone can't name a game anymore we've run out and that you would be the loser well, we haven't played it in what 25 years yeah. you want to start yeah yeah don't look at the chat okay i'm not because i don't want anyone <laughs> so there's already one there but i i knew that one yeah yeah all, all right. right so leather goddess of phobos is out do you want to why don't you start square. with that one that's your freebie sure oh okay. no well i mean do you want to take it you might as well take it yeah sure leather goddesses all right zork Zork 2. Zork 3. Enchanter. Deadline. Sorcerer. Infidel. Oh, that's a good one. That's usually... It's yeah, I'm going deep already. Um, uh, Wishbringer. Oh, that's what I was going to say next. Uh, Borrowed Time. That's not an Infocom game. Yeah, it is. No, 100%. Not. Definitely not. It 100% is. It is absolutely not. Not. It's the one of their detective being... series. It's not Borrowed Time. It's Look just... it up. It's Google not, borrowed time infocom right now. Not a game. Isn't it? Nope. It's just deadline so, and okay. witness. No. Suspect. Suspect. 
That's an Infocom game. Yeah, suspect is. Yeah, you Isn't said deadline witness. You said it's just deadline and witness, but then I added suspect. Okay. Yeah. What else you got? Uh, suspended. Good. Um, Plundered Hearts. Ooh. Yeah. I'm bringing my I'm One bringing of the, the first, game today. Uh, okay. Video game trivia. Amy Briggs, who was the Infocom creator who created Plundered Hearts, used to babysit for Ron Gilbert. That That's is, amazing, but you don't get any extra points. For no, it. no, I know, but it's one of the most <laughs> extra good points for me in Paris. That we yeah, like yeah. that. That's, That's one exactly. of the most obscure pieces of video game <laughs> trivia I know. Oh, look at the chat. Borrowed time was interplay. Oh, that's how I got it mixed up. Because like, it, it was another detective type game. And yeah. I mixed because Infocom made those three. That was their detective triptych was Deadline, Witness, and Suspect. Yep. I believe that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's with you. It's, it's on you. Wait, whose turn is it? I'm not sure. I, I feel like you this might is what it used to. Uh, this is exactly what it used to be like. We just lose the okay. lose plot. I'm not suggesting we do this now. But okay. Gary, I have an idea for a sequel to this game. Okay. Which is we get in a room. With uh, no internet, two computers, yep. and we start writing down video game names, uh -huh. and when we just see who can name more actual video games. Like, you want to take the info game, but expand it to all video yeah, games? We'll video be there game. forever. I know. How many? How, okay. <laughs> Between the two of us, we'll be there forever. Let me ask a question. How many games do you think you can remember the name of? I mean, it's got to be in the thousands. How many? Two thousand? I mean, it's, 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 I mean it, it's, it's like trying to guess how many M&Ms are in like a, a, a massive jar. I mean, we got to do something. We got to do I mean, we would be there forever. I mean, okay. even with Infocom, we, we could go for it. We should stream this for that, uh, for the, that charity stream. Yeah, for like Extra Life for Kids yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah. I mean, but that, that stream's only 24 hours. Like, we would need a lot longer than that. Hey, <laughs> hey. Well, let's keep an eye out there for that as we ramp down. We do have to say goodbye. Chris and Gary, Paris, this has been an awesome episode, a ton of of fun of course kind of funny had a fun kickoff gdc stream where we got to showcase 14 games from 14 different developers for seven whole hours because it was a ton That's of awesome. fun and of course i got to share a little piece of my time at the mix and of course with our gdc stream so here's four games chris i want you to keep an eye out with your team or maybe you already know about them and i'm just getting hip to them right now but my four games for my week at gdc 2023 undisputed is the boxing game that we all want and need. Of course, as Fight Night 3 has come and gone, we had Fight Night Champion. We all want boxing to return to the gaming landscape. Undisputed is a game that I really want to see on an Xbox console. Currently on Steam Early Access for best friends to go out there and play, but Steel City Interactive has done a great job bringing boxing back to the virtual world. I hope you play that and check that out. Up next, Ra Ra Boom. This game is a ton of fun. It's an awesome side-scrolling beat-em-up with four badass ladies as the lead. It's an all-female cast. This is a really fun game that mixes not only close combat, beat-em-up action, but also a cool ranged ability with these four gals, each unique killer soundtrack, and a ton of fun. I was really blown fun. away yeah. by what Chris and his team have done with this. Yeah, Up next, too. Sulfur. This is a really fun one from Perfect Random Team. This game is a roguelite. It's Counter-Strike. Uh, gameplay controls meets a dungeon crawler Diablo inventory system. I think it's going to be up your alley. That sounds and it cool. is really cool looking. It reminds me of old school, like GoldenEye look, but the gunplay is really, really fun. Each run you do is different and unique. You'll pick up different guns. It is difficult. It's violent. It has a cute art style. You're seeing the inventory system up right now on the screen. This game really blew me away at the mix. Interesting. And my final one that I fell in love with, and I think everyone needs to put on their wish list over on Steam, you can actually play the demo, is Gordlitz. This is one girl making this. 
It is a city-building sandbox, place buildings and scenery, and then watch visiting little cute gourdlets arrive and interact with the world. There's no objectives. There's no points. There's just building, and it is the cutest. It is the most fun. It brings me back to the days when I loved Roller Coaster Tycoon, and all I wanted to do was build, build, build. But, of course, money and objectives came in the way. This girl figured it out and just absolutely nailed it. It it's is cute. awesome to see and play. That looks awesome. I need contact yeah. info. We'll talk after. Okay, <laughs> there we go. Well, I did my job. That was my goal because I got to meet a lot of awesome indie devs from around the globe. And it was really special for me to share my first ever GDC. And, of course, have you here with my two gaming dads. It is a really special week. And I'm glad that we were able to share that with all of our audience around the globe. Kind of Funny Best Friends. This has been another episode of the Kind of Funny X-Cast. Hopefully you go seek out some awesome ID at Xbox games. And of course, Chris and his team will be bringing you many more throughout many more years as we celebrate 10 years of ID at Xbox, the program. We'll see you back here next week, gamers. Goodbye.